You know, I read about a church that was doing kind of the same thing. They were going to start having uh, worship services at uh, two locations in their building. And the uh, the pastor actually put in the bulletin that now they would be able to baptize babies at both ends. Um, which did raise some question, I think, in the minds of the people there. You actually have no idea. Here we have more than 250 people from Orchard Hill who spent two days this week listening to some of the best teachers and speakers in the country. You have no idea how intimidating it is to get up here today. Here's my symbol uh, for today. Can you see what this is? This is a can of worms. And today I'm going to be opening a can of worms. And I have been saying to myself all week, what was I thinking? Way back when we started planning this summer series where we were going to talk about the words of Jesus, uh, you think about all the amazing, beautiful, encouraging things that Jesus said and taught Why would anybody in their right mind choose to teach about Jesus talking about the unforgivable sin? What was I thinking? I don't know if you know that this uh, this summer we've had this family worship service at 1045. And the idea was that we would take the teaching from in here and then kind of simplify it short and bring it down and teach it to the kids down at that end. And uh, the children said... Department said, maybe, maybe the unforgivable sin is not the best topic to use, you know, with little children. And I agreed. But it did remind me of why I decided I wanted to teach about this. And it was because when I was a little kid, the idea of an unforgivable sin scared me to death. My parents had become Christians uh, shortly before I was born, and so they'd become a part of a really good neighborhood church uh, with, a, with a great pastor who was a great teacher. And so, you know, from the time I was really little, I went to, to worship uh, every Sunday morning and evening, so I heard a lot of teachings. And the pastor was an engaging enough teacher that I actually, even as a kid, listened to a lot of what was being said and tried to understand. And one of the things that I heard about, though, that really scared me was I heard him talk about an unforgivable sin. And it seemed like nobody knew what that was. It just might be that I had done it already, you know, or that I might do it in the future and not even know it. And if I did, that meant that heaven was gone, that I was going to hell, and there was nothing I could do about it. That is a scary thought for a kid. That's a scary thought for an adult, isn't it? Some of you who are my age or older will remember when when TV was first kind of uh, kicking up, Groucho Marx, who was a comedian, had a show on television. I think it was called You Bet Your Life. And he would interview people. And the, the exciting thing about it was that each week there was a secret word. And if the person said the secret word during the program, a duck would come down uh, from the ceiling with like $200 in its beak or something like that. So without knowing it at all, they would just say that word. Suddenly the duck would come down and they'd get this money. And that was sort of my picture of this unforgivable sin. 
that I'm going along, just living my life, good little boy, and I would commit this sin that I didn't even know what it was, and all of a sudden it would be like a bolt of lightning would come down and strike me, and that would be the end of it. So I don't know if you heard much about the unforgivable sin, or if that's been an issue in your life, but I want us to talk about it today because I think it can help us to understand some important truths. So I'm going to ask you to join with me for just a minute while we pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help in this. Uh, Lord God, a lot of things in the Bible we don't understand. Uh, and for uh, for many of us, um, this whole idea of an unforgivable sin is, uh, is upsetting and kind of confusing. Uh, Holy Spirit, help us to be able to leave today rejoicing in the forgiveness that you've given to us. Amen. Uh, okay, here's what I want to do. I think first we need to understand a little bit about the process of how we are forgiven and then look at that unforgivable sin and see why it is what it is. So let's make sure we understand about forgiveness, that God offers to forgiveness to us even though there is absolutely nothing in us to warrant God's forgiving us. The Bible calls it the grace of God. It is that totally undeserved things that God does for us. And, and forgiveness comes by grace through faith. It's simply by the grace of God that he would do for us what we totally don't deserve or earn God gives to us. Let me just read you from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, uh, this really neat passage where the Apostle Paul is describing this. And here's the way he uh, explains it. He says, uh, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. So God wants to be able to forgive us, but he does so because of who he is, not because of who we are. So there is a process by which I think God brings us into a state of being forgiven. The first thing we need to do is to recognize our sin. We need to uh, be aware of our sin. Are there people that sin and aren't even aware of it? Yeah, I'm sure that there are. One of Jesus' disciples, John, was writing to one of the first century churches, and he described it this way, the relationship with God. He he said, this is the message that we've heard from him, from Jesus, and declare also to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he ends that passage by saying, little children, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate, a defense lawyer, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he's the expiation, the the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the first thing we need to do is to be honest with ourselves that we are sinful people. John says, 
If you think and you claim that you're not a sinful person, there's only one person who's being fooled by that, and that's you yourself. You know, you don't even have to look at them, that the person sitting next to you is a sinner. And I look out at you and, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And you sit out there looking at me going, yeah, yeah, right? Because we are sinful people. So the first step needs to be that we understand our sin, that we recognize the extent and the seriousness of it. The Bible gives some great sort of word pictures about what sin is like. One word that it uses is, um, you, you know, when you go someplace and you see a sign stuck up on a tree or on a fence that says no trespassing, it means you're not supposed to go there, right? You're not supposed to go there. That would be trespassing. The Bible says... One kind of sin is like that, that God gives us this this path we're supposed to walk on. And he says, don't go there. Don't go there. And when we do, we are trespassing. And that is a kind of sin. When Sally and I were in Israel, we were up um, on in Galilee in northern Israel. We were on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. We were in a bus with some other people who are part of this study tour. We came to a place where probably Jesus cast the demons out of this guy. Remember, then they went into the pigs and the pigs went down in the Sea of Galilee. So we were there. We got out of the bus and and our teacher on that trip said, um, just a minute, before you do anything, I want you to notice that on both sides of the roads, there are warning signs saying that there are landmines all over this area. So don't get off the road. Well, it was amazing how tightly together in the middle of the road a bunch of people could be, you know. We weren't going to take any chances of going there because of the danger. Why does God say, don't go there, don't go there, you know, don't do that? Because he loves us, because he cares about us, because he knows that when we sin, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others and we hurt our relationship with God. Trespassing, going where God tells us not to do is one kind of sin. Another kind of sin is like missing the mark. That God says, here's the goal. This is the way you ought to live. You know, be holy, because I'm holy. You know, live, live loving God with your whole being. You know, loving your neighbor as yourself. I, I refer to it often because I think when I, at the end of my life, look back on all the worship services that we've had here at Orchard Hill, I think this one will stand out maybe as much as any in my mind. It was a few years ago when we asked Matt Strayer, one of our members who was a bow hunter, if he would shoot some bows and arrows. You remember? And so Matt stood way over there and we had a target way over there. And you remember this big target we had there? No, you don't remember that big target because this is the target that we had there. This little four-inch thing was the target. And if you can see the holes in it, Matt drilled this puppy. It's, it's a time in Orchard, I think, when we have been the quietest I have ever seen. You know, When Matt's getting ready to shoot, you know, he's... Uh, he's Holds his breath, you know, to be steady. We were all holding our breath, you know, waiting to see what would happen. Now, I mean, Matt's really good at this. But what if I had been the one shooting the arrow? We would have had several people with serious injuries, wouldn't we, you know? In fact, that may be when we started the habit of leaving the first few rows empty, just in case Ed tries something weird like that, you know? That's one kind of sin that God talks about. That God says, this is the way you want to live. This is the, the target that you ought to be shooting for. And we miss it. And we miss it badly. And we miss it every time. And already today, you have done that. 
that you haven't loved God with all your heart, with all your passion, you know, with all your strength. You haven't loved others the way God has loved us in the way we love ourselves. So there is this sin, and the first step in that process of being forgiven is being aware and recognizing our sin. The second thing we need to do then is to repent of it. When we recognize how serious sin is, we want to stop it. We want to change. We want to do things differently. And so repenting of our sin isn't just feeling sorry about it, feeling bad because we've done something we shouldn't. Oh, gee, I shouldn't have done that. It's a sincere desire never to do that again, to change the way our lives are, to get back on the path going the right way, to focus again on the target that God has given for us. When we do that, we recognize that, we repent of our sin, and we come to God and we accept the forgiveness that God offers us through His Son, Jesus Christ. That amazing concept that... That the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, took our place, your place and mine on a cross, gave his life's blood so that we might be forgiven. We don't always think about it, but we want justice in this world. It drives us nuts when something happens, when that isn't just and that isn't fair. And we think God ought to just be able to forgive anybody willy-nilly because he's a God of love. But what we don't remember so often is that God is also a God of infinite justice and righteousness. And the only way that God could justly forgive us for this terrible disobedience that we have shown to the holy God of the universe is through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And God offers that to all of us. The death of Jesus Christ was sufficient. Remember, John said, not just for your sins, but for the sins of the whole world. That invitation is offered to everyone to come and to receive that forgiveness. Now, If that's what we mean by forgiveness, what's this unforgivable sin? What is that thing that God won't forgive? And to see that, we're going to be looking at the third chapter of Mark. So if you've got a Bible, you want to turn to that, I think it will be on the screen as well. I'm going to start with verse 20. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again the crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind, because he wasn't even taking time to eat. Crowds are so crowding it around. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called him over to him, and he began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. And then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They will be guilty of an eternal sin. And then notice verse 30. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Let's make sure we understand what's happening here. Jesus is doing incredible, divine, supernatural things. Giving sight to the blind, uh, helping the lame to walk cleansing leprosy 
and driving out demons. And these religious Jewish scholars who come from Jerusalem up to Galilee to check this out, they recognize undeniably that Jesus is doing divine things. They've got to have some explanation of how that's happening because they believe that Jesus is blaspheming. That when he said he could forgive sins, that wasn't true. That was a lie. So they're trying to find some way to explain what Jesus is doing. So they come up with this. They say he's able to drive out demons because he's in league with Satan. He's on the same team as Beelzebub, Satan himself. The way he drives out demons is by demonic power and authority. So Jesus gives a couple short stories. You know, he says, well, all right, listen, a house divided against itself. What's going to happen? It's going to fall. It can't stand. And the only way somebody can go into a strong man's house, talking about Satan, and plunder his goods, which means freeing people who've been possessed by demons, you know, is first to bind that strong man. Jesus is giving some illustrations to show how illogical what they were saying was. And then he ends up by saying, In fact, that kind of attitude, I think, is unforgivable. And what's he talking about? Here is the eternal Son of God, the one person out of all the billions of people who ever walked on planet Earth, the one person who never sinned, who never did anything wrong, who lived his whole life in a battle against Satan, who had the authority through his Father in heaven, to cast out demons. The demons themselves, when they saw Jesus, they recognized him, and they called him the Holy One of God. And what these religious leaders have done is that they have turned the whole thing physically upside down, figuratively upside down. They have taken the eternal Son of God, the one pure and holy one, who is totally without sin, who is glorious and good, and they have turned it upside down, and they've said he's satanic, He's in league with the, de- with the devil. And Jesus is saying, they don't even know they're doing it. As Paul says in the beginning of Romans, they have suppressed the truth. It's a deliberate action. They have refused to see the work of God even when it's standing right in front of them. And they have brought themselves into a state in which they cannot be forgiven because they don't recognize their sin. They think that they are doing the work of God. They're not going to repent of it. They're going to try to do it even more zealously to destroy the Son of God. And thus they will not accept the gift that God has offered to them. So I believe that the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin, is not an action. It's an attitude. It's twisting things to such an extent that even the very works of God are called evil and satanic. Now, does that happen today? Do people today still get that thing twisted around sometimes? I think we do, and I think it's a big warning that we ought to have from this passage of Scripture. And I want to give you an example. And... um, There are a lot of people who would disagree strongly with this example. And I recognize that. Um, But I give it to you from my heart. And and the issue is abortion. Um, Every year in the United States, more than a million babies are killed before they are born. Since, Since abortion was legalized in 1973, more than... 
50 million babies have been killed before they were born. The biggest holocaust in the history of the world. And what have we done with it? Have we recognized the sin of it? What has our culture done with it? We've turned it totally upside down and we've said it was good. We've said it's freedom. We've said it's guaranteed in our constitution. We've said that it's a, it's a woman's right, that it's a private decision between a woman and her doctor. Since when did murder become a private decision? And what I believe has happened is the very thing that Jesus is confronting there. That's something that is so wrong, so wrong. We've turned it around and we've said it's good and we've honored it and we've defended it. And so I am not saying that abortion is an unforgivable sin. I believe that Anyone who's been involved in a divorce, an abortion, you know, a, a mother or her partner, you know, I believe that they can recognize the evil of that act, that they can repent of it and they can come to God and ask forgiveness. And God gladly forgives. Jesus died so that act could be forgiven. But I think as a culture, this is not a political issue to me anyway. It is a moral issue. So that's... Uh, that's one warning that I would give to myself and to others, that we be very careful that we not take the, the works of God, you know, and turn them upside down and say what is bad is really good. The other warning I would give um, would be this. Uh, we need to be careful about um, being critical of works of the Spirit you know, it's by the, by the Spirit of God that Jesus was doing the things that he did. The Holy Spirit is an amazing part of God, isn't he? And he works in multiple abundant ways. And it may be that the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of Christians in ways that are very different than the way he has worked in your life. And I, as I look back on my life, know there have been times when I have seen things happening um, in churches or in the lives of people who would claim to be followers of Jesus Christ um, that that I was very critical of because it was so different in my experience, so different than what I felt like, you know, the Holy Spirit could only do this much. And I think we need to be very careful about uh, judging the works of the Holy Spirit of God uh, lest we be found standing against God God is working in amazing, diverse ways in the world. And woe be to us if we should, you know, condemn what the, what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. So, uh, so as I was thinking about today, I was realizing this is so negative and scary and harsh. But what I want is for it to be a time of joy and celebration to realize, you know, that God gave the most valuable thing in the history of the universe, the blood of His eternal Son. He gave it gladly on the cross for us so that God might forgive us. And it's not that God is standing there, you know, waiting to judge us. God is standing there like this, longing for us to come back to Him, longing for us to recognize that the way that we live so much of the time is harmful 
to us and to others and to come to God in repentance and say, God, Holy Spirit, fill me. Jesus, you know, forgive me through your, your shed blood, you know. Help me to get right back on the path. Help me to keep focused on the goal that you've given to us. And when we do that, God is delighted and anxious to forgive us. Dave mentioned that the people being baptized today, and most of them have kind of written out their um, sort of statement of why they wanted to be baptized. And as I was reading those, you know, so many of them were saying, it's just such a good picture to me of what, what I think God has done in my life. He's washed away my sins, you know. And that's what God wants to do for us. We need to celebrate that. So we're going to get to sing and worship a little bit more. And I hope it will just be a source of joy for us as we celebrate, you know, the forgiveness that God gives to us through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to lead us in prayer and then we'll continue with our worship. Uh, Lord God, uh, our sins are many. We know that. And we tend to kind of build calluses over our sins so that they don't um, prick our conscience so much. Um, We make excuses and we justify what we have done when the reality is that there is so much sin in us. And uh, my prayer would be for myself, for these friends, that you would show us our sin, that you would shine the spotlight on our hearts. In those times where we have actually turned things around and called things that are good, that are not good, that are displeasing, dishonoring to you, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for the kinds of attitudes of pride and jealousy and envy and selfishness and hoarding that that we have been so guilty of. Uh, Lord, we... We want to repent now. We want every day to be able to come to you and to tell you that we're sorry. And we want you, Holy Spirit, to, to give us a new heart and a new beginning every day. You know, help us to live in a way that honors you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.